Let me ask you, you obviously, you have a lot in common with Bob Dole. I mean, you're obviously both from farm states. Um, you're conservatives, but I would say pragmatic conservatives. Uh, you both served in the House before you served in the Senate. What's the difference between the House and the Senate? Uh, for me, when I was, and Bob Dole too, when he was in the House, he was always in the minority. I was in the minority. We never expected to be in the majority, but all of a sudden, 1981, he was chairman of the Finance Committee. I was in the majority. I was able to be chairman of subcommittees, and nobody anticipated that. But the difference between the House and Senate is roughly two or three things, maybe four things. Um, one, uh, being in, at least when we came here, being in the majority as opposed to being in the minority. Number two, uh, you got to beg for opportunities to speak in the House, and you only get two or three minutes to speak. And, you can't just automatically get the floor and keep it as long as you want to in the Senate. Anything you want to say for as long as you want to say it, under most circumstances, you've got an opportunity to just uh, uh, be a force there from the standpoint of speeches, almost because of the lack of ruler germaneness in most cases. Uh, you can offer anything you want to. So you've got an opportunity to have a forum for any cause you want, an opportunity to bring any legislative issue before you, you've got an opportunity to. But the, I think the most important thing is it's a smaller body and you actually know everybody. In the House of Representatives, I'd be reading the name in the newspaper and say, well, who is that? See, And uh, even in my own party sometimes, uh, in the, you really get acquainted with your colleagues. And the uh, uh, public doesn't view, uh, they think everything's political in Washington. They don't recognize the cordiality of one senator towards the other, uh, even for people that disagree a lot, even for people that don't talk to each other a lot. There's still a respect for each other, I believe, that, that I don't think you are able to develop in the House of Representatives, even if you wanted to, say, uh, particularly with everybody, I think. So I think being in a majority, a six-year, oh, another thing is a six-year term. You got a long view. In the House of Representatives, you're spending all your time running for re-election. You spend too much time raising money? Now, not when I started, I don't and, think. And you, you started when? In 1979 to run for the Senate. I was elected to the House in 74. But in 1979 and 80, I spent a lot of time raising money. But I didn't spend six years raising money. Now you spend at least four out of six years raising money. So you came into the Senate as part of that Reagan tidal wave. Yeah, but I want to remind you, I got 100,000 more votes in Iowa than Reagan got. Okay. He, it wasn't his coattails that got me elected. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah. But you come in at the same time when Dole and Howard Baker and all these folks who were always in the minority suddenly find themselves in the majority. Yeah. What was that like? Well, I suppose for me, not being in the Senate until that very day of election, it wasn't so much different. But for the people that had been here and been in a minority for 24 years, 26 years, 24 years, I guess it was, it was almost a shock, you know. I mean, didn't realize they had a chance of being. They probably had a, felt they had a chance to pick up. And it was almost, you know, like we got a tiger by your tail. What do we do? You know, what do we do? But I think we did pretty well in the six years we were in the majority during that period of time. I think people like Howard Baker and uh, 
and uh, Bob Dole, uh, you know, Howard Baker's leader, Bob Dole's chairman of the Financial Committee, and four years later, Bob Dole's leader. Uh, I think that, uh, that uh, they had a handle on the institution. They had a good working relationship with other people. And uh, I'll tell you what, it wasn't so much a shock to the Republicans as it was to the Democrats. I remember the first meeting of, uh, of the Finance Committee. Bob Dole was chairman, and you know, Russell Long was former chairman. And you know how they, how they call the roll? They call all the Republicans except the chairman. Then they call all the Democrats. And just as soon as uh, they, uh, Russell uh, Long responded to Russell Long uh, on a yay or nay, and then they immediately called Mr. Chairman, and Russell Long said aye, say, because he, he'd been chairman for 18 years, and, it was, and everybody roared, you know. He was so used to responding to chair, Mr. Chairman. Tell us what the Finance Committee did in those days. Well, subject matter, the very same thing they do today. Uh, all, all tax issues, all trade issues, uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, uh, uh, unemployment compensation, uh, let's see, uh, jurisdiction over IRS, HHS, uh, some of commerce, all of treasury. Uh, in those days, uh, tax issues were very important. Uh, cutting the marginal tax rate. Uh, indexing the tax code, which is, or the income tax rates are indexed now, for, so you don't have uh, inflation impact, uh, wage inflation impact. Uh, phantom taxation, I guess you'd call it, you know. Uh, trade was, was significant from the standpoint of being 30 years into the free trade regime of the general agreement of tariffs and trades, now called the World Trade Organization, a lot of trade issues. Not so much uh, Medicare, Medicaid, an awful lot to do, though, with Social Security because in 1982, 83, there was a, a negative cash flow. The only time in the history of Social Security thus far there was a negative cash flow. We were pouring general fund money into it, so we had to reform Social Security. But it wasn't done so much within committee. You know, Reagan set up a commission made up of people like Bob Dole and Greenspan and, and, and Long and, I suppose, uh, uh, Moynihan, people like that. I'm not sure exactly who was on it. But... Uh, uh, they came to a bipartisan compromise. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Speaker of the House was involved in it. It was kind of a Bob Dole, Reagan, uh, uh, I can't think of the Speaker's name. Oh, Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill. Sure. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan got Social Security straightened out. So in a couple of years... It was having a positive cash flow again. Let me ask you, because, of course, at the beginning, 81, you had the, the whole Reagan economic program with, uh, I guess, in the end, it was a 25% tax cut, some significant, relatively significant spending cuts and, and other measures as well. Now, Bob Dole was not a supply-side conservative. I'm not sure where you fit in in, in that yeah. picture, but and yet he was a very good soldier. Um, how did that happen, and what were his what were his strengths? 
in terms of uh, making something like that happen? Bob Dole's strengths was number one, he had what it takes to make the Senate work, working across party lines, similar to what Baucus and I do now. Uh, he was respected because he was a war hero. I think that helped more. I don't think he'd want to admit that. I think it was, you know, but I think it's a fact of life. I think he's still respected for that reason, more than maybe even being a darn good senator. You know, I mean, he, he's really, he really demonstrated what World War II was all about for a lot of people. Uh, his strength was uh, basically uh, knowing the legislative process very well, working across lines, working hard. I mean, when Bob Dole wasn't traveling someplace on a Saturday, he had his whole staff in his Kansas office here in the Hart Building working at least part of the day, and maybe all day for all I know. He had the ability to attract outstanding staff. Uh, but I think the most important thing was to just have the legislative process work uh, and the art of compromise. And how does it work? I think so many Americans have almost no idea about how things actually function up here, including when they succeed. Yeah. I mean, what is it behind closed doors in the middle of the night in a conference committee? What is it that what chemistry happens and what can a successful leader yeah. do to make that happen? Well, there might be a difference in the type of closed doors in the sense that maybe when you're just developing a bill, it's a little bit different environment than if you might be sitting in those same environments uh, late at night in a conference between the House and the Senate when things have moved along to a point where you just about got a product and uh, make a, the few last uh, compromises to get something done. But I think I'd rather start with, first of all, there's a difference between the House and Senate in the sense that in the House today and forever, I believe, uh, you know, a bipartisan majority, a Republican majority, or a Democrat majority, as long as they stick together and get anything done, they want to get done. Whereas in the Senate, with the rare exceptions, and I, maybe there's never been a time in the Senate, because when you used to have Southern Democrats, I'm not sure that even though the Democrats maybe had 65 to 70 members, that they got done what the National Democratic Party would have liked to have done. But uh, regard, with, the, with the exception of that, I think throughout the history of the United States Senate, you've got to remember nothing gets done that's not somewhat bipartisan because of the filibuster and the supermajority to stop the filibuster. And you've got to remember that the uh, United States Senate is the only political institution where minority views are protected. And they're protected through the no limit on debate, the supermajority. So when you have today 51 Republicans, 49 Democrats, or even when you had 55 Republicans last time, 45 Democrats, and Republicans don't always stick together. You, I always figured you had to have at least a dozen Democrats on your side to get anything done. So the Senate's a little bit different than the House, but in the Senate, it's a little bit like, do the members that have to forge a compromise realize you have to have a bipartisan compromise? I think probably 60, 75% of the senators know that. Do they always practice it? No, they don't always practice it, but they know that. 
And so you start out as uh, right now, Senator Baucus and I, for instance, working on the children's health insurance program. Uh, he gives me a call and says, you know, can we sit down and see what we can work out, just like we did three years ago on prescription drugs for Medicare, as an example. So, uh, you know, it takes, uh, but there's, a, there's got to be a certain amount of chemistry between a couple people for that to happen. And then, trust. what? And trust. Yeah, trust. But he, he carries a burden that I also carry, that you got 50 other members in his party, uh, 48 other people in my party, and and so you just can't do what Chuck Grassley and Baucus want to do. We've got to look over our shoulders. You can't be a leader if you don't have some followers. So you've got to look at your caucus and say, what can I do to sell this to maybe at least half of my caucus? And if Grassley can sell it to half of his caucus, you know, you've got a majority to move. But uh, uh, so we have to be cautious as we do it. But uh, what does it is... Uh, in other words, what gets done behind closed doors is the opportunity to give and take. See, and presumably, I've been told he has almost a sixth sense about just when to strike a deal, just when someone might be ready to to nudge across the finish line. I mean, it's almost a psychological game of uh, of uh, or instinct at work. Is 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 it that? Uh, you have to come to the conclusion that you there's there's a timeline that you got to get things done, and probably ninety percent of what needs to get done is in the last ten percent of the time. And Bob Dole sensed when the deadline was, and uh, and you know, and there's some maybe some tactics to waiting because it makes people you know. What the old saying, cut or fish bait. Uh, is that what you... Yeah, I think. <laughs> cut, uh, uh, and presumably, see. you also have to work with people you don't much like. Yeah. I mean, just the nature of the, yeah. of the game. You can't let that yeah. get in the way of your yeah. effectiveness. Now, I, can I can't speak for Bob Dole on this, but I can speak for myself that, you know, I may like some senators a little bit more than other senators, but... I don't know of a single senator that I dislike. Now, maybe some people dislike me. I don't want to know it. See, uh, so I uh, I don't really uh, I don't really operate that way. I doubt if Bob Dole did. I don't know him. Uh, I mean, I know him well, but I don't know him that uh, initial. You know, I remember one time that uh, that. Uh, I, I, this is years ago. Senator Kennedy and I talked to each other all the time now, but in my early years in the Senate, didn't used to talk to him much. And I'd say, hi, Ted, or something, uh, or say, hi, Sen and I said, and Bob Dole was by one time when I said that, and Kennedy walked right by, and I said, you know, he didn't even recognize me, or not recognize, he didn't, he didn't respond to me. And Bob Dole says, you know, he's always got a lot of things on his mind. See, I probably wouldn't appreciate that unless Bob Dole had said that about Senator Kennedy. He probably, he knew Senator Kennedy a lot better than I did, see. So let's get back to what was your question that I was responding to about Bob Dole and, and well, the sixth sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, what you know, strengths he brought. Yeah, you strength. know, I doubt if Bob Dole would say he had a sixth sense. Yeah. But, you know, it's just something that comes natural. And I think maybe more from Midwesterners because they tend to be more transparent. 
uh, I would call Bob Dole a transparent person. I don't know whether except, uh, you know, he was very, uh, very much an, uh, a person that uh, maybe you didn't know what he was thinking all the time, but he wasn't somebody that was trying to pull a fast one on you, see. And so you, 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 there's a lot of trust there. So I, I don't know whether he'd say he had a sixth cent, but uh, just the experience he had as a legislator and probably his background as being transparent in the Midwest, background of understanding uh, people that have had to struggle economic to get along. Uh, Would you say I just a think, little bit of populism? Oh, without in, a doubt. In, in Bob Dole oh, sure. That oh, sure. Yeah, you know, he was... Uh, Think of uh, his efforts with food stamps. Uh, Think of his efforts towards uh, hospice, as an example. Um, Medicaid. Uh, He probably didn't, you know, he wasn't here when the Medicaid bill, well, he was here when the Medicaid bill was written. Uh, I don't know about his activity in that, but uh, he uh, he did not forget his roots. And, and, uh, and, Probably part of that was related to the fact that as he stayed in the Senate, uh, he never accumulated, as far as I know, he didn't accumulate wealth until after he got out of the Senate. And I'm not, uh, and, uh, and so I think that he, his personal demeanor, based on his bringing up and not having a lot other than salary and things like that, you know, I think kept him very humble. He he was and he was and still is yeah. a humble person. Yeah, I would say he's never forgotten where he comes from. Yeah, were you one of? He those? would still be telling you about the people in Russell, Kansas, uh, taking up that collection in that in that cigar box. Yeah. Yeah. See, the eighty-one tax bill. I guess you all got into a bidding war with uh, with the Democrats, and and I know. Once it was passed, that Dole at least thought maybe we'd gone too far in terms of giving away revenue. And, of course, there was the follow-up, Tefra in 82, yeah. which was a very controversial piece of legislature. Where were you on, on all of that? Uh, the only thing I remember about the tax bill of 81 is I was a advocate, along with Senator Armstrong, with indexing the tax rates so we didn't have the in uh, the phantom taxation coming in from inflation. Uh, and uh, probably uh, not so much problems with Dole, but problems with Reagan. Now, can you believe it? Reagan didn't want to do that. Armstrong and I went down and I guess we went down until Reagan was going to do it. Hmm. And he, he tried to talk us. He says you ought to do that a little bit later. Now, maybe Bob Dole was of hmm. the same opinion, but I don't know that. But we got indexing in and it's still there. And... Uh, and uh, I believe that I believe that uh, the tax bill of '81 went further than it did because of the movement of of Kemp and and uh, uh, Kemp, Kemp and Roth. Yes. You know, for the two years, maybe three years before that. So I think you you got to look at. Not just Bob Dole in the '81 tax bill. You got to see the movement of Kemp Roth prior to that. Didn't include indexing. It was almost—I don't know whether Bob Dole would have had this opinion, 
and I'm not sure that I was a Kemp Roth person, but with the election turned out the way it was, I think it was seen as a opportunity. And I think Bob Dole, being chairman of the committee, felt taxes, something needed to be done in taxes, and you obviously had the President of the United States on your side. So it didn't boil down to how much to do, uh, but, uh, but the extent to, to getting something done that Republicans had stood for for a long period of time. See. Now, when it comes to uh, TEFRA, that's the name of the 82 bill, I believe, TEFRA, uh, I believe that, that, that uh, the tax bill of... She, no, I think she, she's going to get it. I don't... Okay. Um, when it comes to the tax bill of 82 and the... No, I better start over again. When it comes to the tax bill of 81 and the loss of revenue, yeah, it was seen that too much was done maybe for business and corporations in the 81 tax bill. But also we had the tremendous recession that nobody anticipated. Eventually, I think 12% unemployment for a short period of time. And, uh, and we would have had a decline in income regardless. And I'm not so sure but what the tax bill of 81 didn't get more blamed. But we were still in this frame of mind that, uh, that you, 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 you lower tax rates, you cut income into the federal treasury. And you lower and you raise tax rates and you bring in more money. Well, now here we are in 2007. We've got the history of 2004, five, six, and seven. We got Greenspan telling us that we that we have uh, uh, that that the tax bill of 2001 and 2003 revitalized the economy, created seven and eight tenths million new jobs, got three quarters of a billion dollars more coming into the federal treasury the last three years than what we did, uh, what we anticipated we might have at this point all related to uh, the fact that, uh, uh, that, the, that tax, uh, tax policy has good consequences, see? Now, there's liberals around here you can't convince that of, and I believe that today. I'm not sure I believe that in, two th in 81, see? And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sure that Bob Dole believed that his tax bill cut revenue and we need to do something about it. I'm not sure now, on hindsight, that I believe that. I don't know whether Bob Dole still believes that today. But, uh, you know, tax policy does change behavior. And behavior's got something to do with the economy. Sure. And, uh, but it, 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 was, it was blamed for it, and that's why we had TEFRA. Now, there were some bad policies in 81 that have... <laughs> um, I don't know the exact names of them, but we... We would allow corporations, there was a term that we used for it, we would allow corporations who didn't have the benefit of, uh, didn't have income enough to claim an investment tax credit, to buy the investment tax credit from somebody else. Uh, and, and, you know, people learned how to game the system. And I think we were correcting not so much the TEFRA to bring in more revenue, as to correct obvious bad tax policy we passed. You know, you want the marketplace to make most of these decisions. We lower tax rates because 137 million taxpayers like you 
making individual decisions on what you're going to do with that extra money is going to do more economic good than 535 of us in the Congress, bringing in that revenue, deciding how to distribute it. See? Did you, I assume, you supported Dole's candidacy for majority leader? Yes. Ran in 84? Yes, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, were you, I, I, he won by one vote, didn't he? He, he won by one vote. Yeah. Were you surprised that he won? or Because uh, I've talked to other people who, frankly, were yeah. surprised that he won. I was won. surprised, yeah. I think Ted Stevens was the... Yeah. 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 He lost. And Ted was whipped, so it was a natural yeah. opportunity for him yeah. to go up. Yeah. What are the factors that enter into an election like that? I assume it's not just ideology. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know. One, one of the factors that entered into it was why did Packwood back Bob Dole, because Packwood was going to be chairman of the Finance Committee if Bob Dole got out of the way. Uh, you know, I, uh, I can only speak for myself. Bob Dole, in the four years that I was a freshman member of the Finance Committee, treated me like a brother. You know, didn't always agree with me. Uh, maybe didn't always, uh, uh, you know, support what I wanted to do. But I know times that I felt I wasn't getting a fair shake, and probably came came for the fair, the lack of fair shake was coming from staff doing what they wanted to do as opposed to what Bob Dole wanted to do. So I go talk to Bob Dole, and tell him what the problems is, and he's, you know, he he he's, he would uh, see that I got justice. You've seen several people do the job of majority leader. You'd, you'd seen Howard Baker, and then you saw Bob Dole. How did, how did they differ? Uh, how do they differ? I think that uh, Howard Baker was, uh, was more of a leader that that was uh, very open with people, and you knew where he stood. Uh, and Bob Dole was more of a loner as a leader, I believe. Uh, I believe that Bob Dole was a better leader, but I think he did stuff more through staff than he did personally. Um, and I believe Howard Baker would have worked more one senator to senator to get things done. You know, I may not be fair to Bob Dole by saying that because you're asking me to think back, well, you know, it, at least a, when he started. Yeah. That, that would be 20 years ago, you know. It's said to be one of the hardest jobs in, in Washington. Yeah. What makes it well, hard? Because you're herding cats. You know, I mean, it's not like the United States... It's not like the House of Representatives where it's run from the top down. It's run from the bottom up, you know. Uh, I get Friss expresses it better than anybody else, you know. He compared it to a cemetery. He, well, I, I forget that comparison. <laughs> but that's the best. If I could think of that, yeah. it'd be the best way to demonstrate the Senate of what it, what it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, but... It, you know, it's probably Mansfield <laughs> is probably the reason that the Senate is so hard to operate. Because Mansfield, uh, I'm told, I didn't serve with him, but I'm told that he had the view that 
every senator is an individual senator, and uh, every senator ought to have a chance to offer his amendment, uh, to say what he wants to say. You don't push him around. You know, just the opposite of Lyndon Johnson, as you read about Lyndon Johnson and the master of the Senate, you know. And Bob Dole and, you know, uh, uh, Howard Baker and, and other people kind of inherited that new Senate. And that Senate's still that way today, you know. It's, one of, it's fascinating because I'm going to ask you if, you if you sensed in your time in Congress changes in terms of less party loyalty, um, the television, uh, and getting on television trumps a lot of other things that a lot of time is spent fundraising, that, that it's a more individualistic body yeah, and I a think, less collegial. I think the airplane's responsible for that. We go home every weekend. You read uh, Master of the Senate, and you read about Mrs. Johnson and, and cooking for people on Sunday night, other senators coming over. Uh, I don't know, except for four or five times in 27 years I've been in the Senate, I've been in another senator's home. See, I go, I have reservations to get out of here. The first airplane after the last vote on Thursday or Friday, and I come back just before, usually just before we vote on Monday or Tuesday, see. So, because I want to be home with my constituents. I've got two jobs, one in Washington legislating, got another job in Iowa making the process of representative government work. I got to get out there and, and talk to Iowans. And, uh, and airplane makes that possible. But the extent to which we got an airplane and Chuck Grassley and every other senator goes home almost every weekend, there's less uh, uh, social relationships developing. And I think it does make for a harsher climate. But I still think that it's not as partisan or it's not as impersonal as people believe, you know. Because you always hear about controversy on the television, you know. See. Let me ask you a broad question. Whether once you got here and got to know Dole, whether there was anything about him that surprised you. I mean, compared with the public image, the public persona that, that he had. Is there something about Dole that you wished people generally could experience the way that, that you and your colleagues experienced on a regular basis? Yeah, I wish that people knew the impact that people who went out of their way for him after he was injured in World War II, that that made an impact on him. Some of the people he knew and some people he didn't know. And some people were in Russell, Kansas, and some people were someplace else. Or it's a doctor in Chicago. These people that stood by Bob Dole and uh, made, brought him to the point where he could be a congressman and a senator had a lasting impact on his life, and I can't prove it, but I think they made a big difference to how he saw his role as a senator and probably had a great deal to do with a lot of decisions he made, even though I could not point to him, but that's what I believe, see. Um, in 88, of course, um, he wins the Iowa caucus, no doubt with considerable help from you. Um, 
Tell me about that campaign, and was the vice president in some ways operating that at a disadvantage compared to 1980 when George Bush didn't have an entourage and he could yeah. travel almost one-on-one, retail politicking? And by 88, of course, he's in this cocoon. Was that, was that something that hurt him on balance? Why did the vice president of the United States come in third in the balloting? In Iowa State that he well, won. by then, as you know from the result of the 86 election, uh, and at the time that Reagan was not so popular. Now, just before he left the presidency, I think he gained back some of that. But during the 86 and into 87, there was, Reagan did not have very good approval ratings. Uh, and I think that hurt Bush. But the most important thing was is that Bob Dole was like Iowans. I think that the personal attachment, regardless of the vice president, the personal attachment of people, they felt that Bob Dole was one of them. And I think that's why he won. It went beyond agriculture. Uh, I mean, that well, obviously was a factor, but uh, well, culturally, that, is that, it affinity? Yeah. But, but I think that, that agriculture and ethanol and what he had done over a period of years, we felt like he was almost president of Iowa. <laughs> See? Yeah. Yeah. How has conservatism changed in, in the time that you've been in Congress? Because clearly Dole was a more traditional kind of economic yeah. conservative. And you had a sense, particularly in 96, that he was kind of chasing this caboose, you know, yeah. the social conservatism, and, and not terribly convincingly in some ways. Yeah. I mean, that tension well, within the Well, that is, that is a difference. I think uh, the Republican Party uh, and, and conservatism, well, I think I better say the Republican Party and not conservatism. It's, uh, it's moved from strictly economic conservatism to social conservatism. Now at the point, now in 2007, uh, I'm saying this, I'm not so sure but what economic conservatism isn't gaining some ground now. But uh, for instance, in this uh, caucus season in Iowa, uh, because I think a lot of Republicans think Hillary Clinton's going to be the nominee, uh, I have not seen the litmus test type people who in 76, 80, 88, 92, 96, and 2000 were looking at this candidate or this candidate, which one's the purest on abortion, which one's the purest on gay rights, and, but mostly it was abortion, I believe, throughout that period of time. Uh, they're, not, uh, they're not questioning uh, Giuliani right now that has a different view, and they're, uh, they're not questioning Romney changing his mind. Uh, I think, so I think there's some that's an opportunity for ascendancy of economic conservatism to come back. But Bob Dole's was economic conservatism. And I don't think he always felt comfortable talking about abortion as an example, or gay rights as an example. I've wondered, because I had this conversation with President Ford, and they were sort of the same generation, pretty much, yeah. same kind of background. Yeah. And there was sort of this, what I call, leave me alone conservatism, yeah. which is, it's almost, it's none of my business conservatism, that there are issues that are so personal, so intimate, yeah. that it's really not something yeah. the government should be yeah. legislating. Yeah. And uh, uh, 
I, uh, I, I can talk freely about those things, but I'd rather talk about economic conservatism myself. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm 10 years younger than Bob Dole, but yeah. I still, uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from, although I have a perfect pro-life voting record as an example. The caucus, where were you, one? Do you remember the with Bob, 88 no. caucus oh. night? Were you with the yeah. senator? I mean, yeah, I was with uh, the senator, and uh, and uh, we headed the next morning for New Hampshire, and I went over to New Hampshire for and what him. what was his vote? Uh, I think he expected to win. In Iowa. So, and, uh, and it was obviously a, a, a good mood, and, uh, and he was ready to move on. And he went into New Hampshire. Of course, he didn't win. I don't think he won New Hampshire. Right. Uh, he went into New Hampshire, I think, expecting a big lift, and probably did give him a lift, but it didn't materialize uh, in the end the way he wanted it to. Uh, but it was a joyful uh, thing. Were you surprised that Pat Robertson had come in second? Yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, that would be the height of people who were making decisions on litmus test type that I was trying to describe to you, yeah. Yeah, he, he still refers to himself as the president of Iowa. Yeah. I mean, Iowa obviously has a very special place in his heart. Yeah, you bet. He thought, it's funny, Dick Worthwood, his pollster, told him on that Friday after the caucuses, he got the lift. Worthwood was telling him, you're going to win New Hampshire. And Dole wasn't so sure. Yeah. And then over the weekend, it slipped away. Yeah. Uh, Governor Sununu's organization came into the picture. They put a new television spot on and... Yeah. and, and uh, and, and then it was over. Um, in 96, well, was there any doubt in your mind that he would run again, I mean, in, in 96? Yeah, I believe there was. I believe there was. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to think about 96. No, I'd have to go back. I don't think there was any doubt that he was getting ready to run again. Yeah. Notwithstanding his age. That yeah. wasn't a... Yeah. I suppose that, uh, that there... Uh, I suppose there was some feeling because of his age he shouldn't run. But at that point, he wasn't... Uh, he would have been just a little older than Reagan was when he was elected, as I recall. I want to let me backtrack for just a minute because the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, what was his role? Of course, the Senate had a historic debate and yeah. a very close vote. I think it was 52-48 yeah. authorizing the use of force. Yeah. And let me tell you what, uh, I was one of two Republicans along with Hatfield that voted against going to war that time. And he knew it was uncomfortable for me. And he says, he came to me and he says uh, something about do you want to talk to the president? And I said, no. He said, I didn't think you wanted to. And he left me alone. Yeah, he respected my view. That's revealing. Yeah. It's like there was an incident later on, remember when Senator Hatfield, on the balanced budget amendment, Senator Hatfield would have been the 60th vote and actually offered to resign. Yeah. And he said, no, it's a matter of conscience. And yeah. Were you surprised? Did he discuss with you at all the strategy that led to his resigning from the Senate in 96 in order to pursue 
the campaign. He didn't. He didn't discuss it to me until almost the last week, and uh, and about all he said was, I, I judged it from this standpoint: resign because it's, it's he's just got to devote full time to the campaign. Uh, I, I guess I was a little surprised because I observed him during '80 and '88, and uh, then in '96, uh, when up till that time he had a 95 percent attendance record at the United States Senate, and you know, people I think jokingly asked me if I'd ever run for president because uh, I don't think they're serious when they say that, and I said no. I came to the conclusion no because I followed Bob Dole around, and Bob Dole could be a good senator, and he could be a good presidential candidate. And I came to the conclusion I couldn't do both. And I wasn't going to write, resign from the United States Senate to run for president, see? And I like being a senator. Uh, and, uh, and he could do it, but I couldn't do it, and I don't think too many people can do it. In fact, you know, uh, John Kerry, and I'll bet most of the candidates this time are around here. Well, even John McCain is missed. Uh, 40 or 60 percent of the vote, and a lot of people missed a lot of votes. Why do you think Dole was able to do it? Because Bob Dole was committed to the Senate, he was committed to run for president, and he's a workaholic. I mean, he, he, I don't know that he had any uh, home life. You know, I mean, he was, he was probably bored sitting around uh, the Watergate. <coughs> Do you remember? I assume he was a board. I don't know for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do you have a theory? You know, there is this notion out there that marrying Elizabeth is what softened him, you know, that, that it, it produced a new Bob Dole. And um, that seems a little simplistic. I don't know that to be a fact, but it, it would do it. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if you know Elizabeth, she, uh, she would uh, tone you down pretty quickly, you know. Uh, I, uh, I see. I just came to Washington about the time they got married, so I don't know much. Uh, well, I do too. I know the the Bob Dole that was vice presidential candidate, and that's kind of the image you're talking about. Yeah. But no, I think that was a role of being a vice presidential candidate. See, yeah. and uh, see, I've never known Bob Dole to be a harsh person. See, maybe he was, but he never was to me. Yeah, that goes back to what I asked earlier, the, the discrepancy between the public image that some yeah. people had and the reality sure. that, that you experienced. And, you know, he had a long time to overcome that image that he got as a result of being the vice presidential candidate. But Were you, when he, when he announced his decision to leave the Senate, Yeah, I know he spoke on the floor, and then I think there was also a meeting, a private meeting with his Republican colleagues. Yeah. What, what do you remember from, from either or both? I assume it was a very emotional... I just remember the, the announcement in, in 902 upstairs, I believe it was, uh, in this building. And uh, the large crowd of people that turned out. And probably, you know, in the years he's been in Congress, probably half of them were people that had been on his staff. Tremendous loyalty. But I think everybody felt that with the campaign coming up, it was the right thing to do. Uh, I think uh, nobody really wanted to have that happen. But I think there was respect for it and acceptance of it. 
I don't remember anything specific about it. I may have been invited to the meeting prior to that in his office, but I don't know for sure. I don't remember for sure. Presumably, it must have been a difficult thing for him to do. I mean, this, he yeah. loved this place. I have, yeah, I have no recollection of that being a difficult decision. But, but I think if you, if I think it would be softened though a little bit by the fact if you thought you were going to be president. Yeah. See. Let me ask you a couple of quick things and I'll let you go. The, is there anything he could have done differently in 96, do you think, uh, that would have changed the outcome of that election? I don't think so. Uh, I think that uh, it would have had to have been a whole new Bob Dole, and you couldn't be a whole new Bob Dole. I mean, you were up against a guy that uh, if you ever talked to President Clinton, you know, he, he leads you to believe you're the most important person in the world. I've had that sort of a conversation with him. And he had four years of, of, of a favorable press. You know, uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, when you go to a, a, a tornado uh, down in Arkansas, and you and, and he's got his arms around a, a woman and nobody else around except the wreckage of a tornado, now... Uh, and the press puts it on the front page of every paper in America. And, uh, and uh, Bush did the same thing last week in Kansas and uh, barely knew he was, he was there, you know. So when you have that sort of unfair uh, treatment on the part of the press supporting one party versus the other, you know, how's Bob Dole going to have a chance? Uh, I, I mean, uh, on a personality basis. I mean, it's very difficult. When you, when you don't get a fair treatment from the press. Uh, and Bob Dole couldn't be anybody but Bob Dole, and Chuck Grassley can't be anybody but Chuck Grassley. You try to be something else if you're from the Midwest. They know you're a fake. Let me ask you, that's interesting, because I agree with you. It's the authenticity that was Dole's strong suit. People agree or disagree with him. They thought he was genuine. What they saw was real, and they respect that in a political culture that's so phony much of the time. Yeah. What is it about being a senator? You know, in the 20th century, only two senators have gone directly from the Senate to the White House. Is there something about being a member of Congress that makes it harder for you to, to be elected uh, president? Is there something about either the lingo that is spoken up here or the way leadership is defined? or the? Uh, well, know? today it'd be because you're part of Washington and... And at the grassroots of America in 2007, I think we have problems just because you're part of Washington. You're seen as part of the problem. But I think if you look at the whole history of it, it's, it's that uh, other senators and other congressmen are jealous of a person that's, that's uh, doing well, you know. I mean, who wouldn't want to be uh, a Barack Obama today when you can get 5,000 people? in Iowa City, Iowa, to come just because you're Obama, you know. Every senator would like to be able to do that. But I mean, even, for example, just the, the language. You know, Dole had mastered this body, but he'd, he'd go outside the beltway and speak in a kind of Capitol Hill shorthand that didn't necessarily communicate itself to Because to he, he was still thinking he was talking to fellow senators. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 How do you think he should be remembered? 
Well, number one, as a war hero, an example of that perfect generation that, uh, that uh, I forget who wrote the book about the, the Tom, war, Brokaw. Tom Brokaw's yeah, book. What, what's the name of that the book? The Greatest Generation. Yeah. I think Bob Dole, as a war hero, is part of that greatest generation that Brokaw talks about. Beyond that, remembered as a person that never forgot his roots, a person that worked uh, day and night as a public official, uh, a person who uh, for the downtrodden always had them in his mind, regardless of the most powerful people he'd deal with and work with and, and probably respect too. None of that blinded him to the needs of the people that had needs, see. And uh, I think that Well, I don't know whether I can say much more. No, I th it sounds to me like he, before they used the term, he was a compassionate conservative. Yeah. A, a compassionate conservative because of his instincts and because of who he was, not as a political gimmick. Well put. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I hope great. I've been helpful. Oh, you've been huge. Seems like we talked more about Chuck Grassley no, no, no. than we did about Bob Dole. Listen, we appreciate it.